Thank you for coming. All right, good evening. Thank you for the singing tonight. It sure is a blessing to my heart. And uh, the day all the way around that the Lord's blessed us with. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And uh, while you're turning there, just uh, very grateful for the blessings of the Lord. Um, good time of prayer and fellowship together over at the Kilgards. Uh, this afternoon, this evening before service, and uh, at least on my part, a, a really good day of fellowship with them uh, throughout the day, uh, season of prayer earlier in the day that the Lord seemed to bless, and um, just grateful for His goodness. It is good to be here, and I'm glad we can gather together freely, and I don't know how many more uh, years that we will enjoy that, but I know we enjoy it now, and I'm grateful for it. I appreciate the goodness of God uh, allowing us to be together again. Some of you did come a long way tonight. I got you beat, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, I talked to you, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not from around here, and I'm like, yes, you are, <laughs> but uh Anyway, it's, uh, it's good to be up in this part of the country again, uh, cold man, and uh, I'm, I'm, I knew I was coming, so I put some weight on to try to, and they, they say that, that that helps, but I don't think it's helped that much, but uh, thank you for being here tonight. Pray for us this evening as we try to preach the Word of God. I, I want to be a help and just be... Uh, I want to be on time. Does that make sense? And the Word of God speaks of um, uh, words that are spoken in due season. And I want to be on time with the message tonight, tomorrow night, Sunday, just for my part of the meeting. Um, I want to be where the Lord wants me to be. Amen. Gospel of John chapter number 5, I'm going to ask you if you will to stand, we'll reverence the Word of God together. Gospel of John chapter number 5 and verse number 30. I believe I read this passage last time I was here, at least this verse, and probably didn't carry on past it, but uh, we'll start and go through the end of the chapter. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. Now he is speaking of John the Baptist, of course, here. And uh, he said, For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself which has sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. 
And you have not His Word abiding in you. For whom He has sent, Him you believe not. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. And you will not come to Me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Father, thank you tonight for the good word of God. Thank you for uh, the revelation of our Savior that you've given to us through the Holy Scriptures. Thank you that uh, it's in the pages of this book we read the gospel. We learn the gospel and how that it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. Father, I bow in your presence and ask you, for Christ's sake, to speak to our hearts tonight. I pray you will empower the Word of God and make it real to every hearer here this evening. I know my own shortcomings, and uh, Lord, I dare not trust in my ability to be a help to anyone tonight, but ask you to speak to us, help us. May your spirit have free course in all of our hearts. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Five witnesses for Christ. Or five witnesses that you might be saved. I love this portion of Scripture. I love the Gospel of John. John is unique. He, he tells us why he writes the things that he writes. Uh, he does it in his later epistles, but he tells us, uh, well, I could tell you of certainty why John chapter 5 was written, because John tells us why he wrote these things. At uh, the end of this uh, gospel that he's written, he said in chapter 20 and verse number 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Amen. John wrote what he wrote, of course, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he was also a man, and he had purpose, and he had burdens upon his heart, and he, he thought of things as he carefully pinned down what God put in his heart to put uh, pin down and uh, in the heart of John was this central theme that all of those who read his writings and record of the Lord Jesus would read them and be so moved in their heart by what they read, what they heard, that they too would believe upon him as the Son of God sent to be the Savior of the world. What we read is essentially pinned down that we would believe and that in believing, we would be saved. I've written these things that you might believe. That is, that you might be persuaded. The idea behind this word belief is that you might put all of your confidence yeah. in the Lord Jesus. 
that you might entrust your soul with him. As the first song we sung, uh, it is so well put. That is a verse of scripture that the apostle Paul wrote. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. And that is the idea right here that we would believe upon him, that we would commit the keeping of our souls and the forgiveness of our sins unto the Lord Jesus alone. John's gospel is not synoptic, and, and what I, that's a fancy word, for me it is anyway. Anything above two syllables is hard for me, but, but uh, simply means that uh, it is not synonymous necessarily with the other gospels. You read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you'll find many of the same narratives, the same miracles, the same parables uh, rehearsed over and over again. And uh, you can diligently compare them and study and get different details. It really is a blessing as you're studying the Word of God. But John's Gospel is very unique. Uh, It holds a a number of uh, miracles that are pinned down only here. Uh, The first of his miracles, uh, I think it was mentioned recently, if if not here, was it Wednesday night? Yes, Uh, uh, the the turning of water into wine, the marriage feast of Cana and... uh, That's mentioned in John's gospel and nowhere else. Uh, You go on into chapter 3. We read the record of a man named Nicodemus, a religious man that came to the Lord Jesus by night. And uh, it's only in John's gospel that we read about Jesus and Nicodemus and their interaction together and Jesus loving him and giving him those glorious words of hope and of comfort and and of conviction that expressed to that religious man, ye must be born again. And that's only in John's gospel. That's chapter 3, and then you get to chapter 4. And again, you read of of Christ dealing with the the woman of Samaria, the adulterous woman of Samaria. And only in John's gospel do you read about that. And then chapter 5 in our text right here, You read about uh, the chapter begins with a a story of a man who is an impotent man. He is lame and he has need and he is waiting by the pool of Bethesda for some superstitious happening to occur where an angel would come and and stir up the water and that he would be healed of his his physical problems Uh, only in John's gospel. In John's Gospel, we read all of those great I am statements of the Lord Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the door, the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And all of those, those are pinned down in John's Gospel. Nowhere else. Very unique is what I'm saying. It it is a good record that we have, and it is all written that we might read it, believe it, and be saved. Yes. In our passage right here, we are reading a dialogue that is going on between the Lord Jesus and the religious leaders of that day in Jerusalem. And uh, the Pharisees, the Jews... And Jesus is speaking very directly and very bluntly with them. They, they have had a problem with him really since chapter number 2. It probably started before then, but I know it began at least by chapter number 2 of John's Gospel when Jesus 
went into their church house and overthrew the tables and and corrected their false teachings and their false worship and their idolatry when he flipped the money changers tables. They've not liked him ever since then, you understand. And what you'll find is in chapter 5, Jesus and the Pharisees are conversing with one another and the conversation began really with them uh, expressing their hatred towards him one more time, seeking to slay him, seeking to kill him because he had done this horrible, horrible deed of healing a man on the Sabbath day. Is it any wonder that he would later tell them that they had not the love of God within them? They cared not for men. They cared not for people. They had their religion. They had their doctrine. They had their place of worship. They were happy as a pig in a mud hole and didn't want anybody to up end their religious enjoyment. The Lord had healed a man on the Sabbath day. He came to him essentially asking him who was waiting on the waters of the pool of Bethesda to be troubled. He said, do you you really want to be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? And he said, well, I'd sure like it, but I've got this problem. I can't get in the water. See, I I'm not fast like these other guys. And if that water ever gets stirred up, and you'll just read this for yourself, you'll understand the story better. But he said, if I can't get it, I have no man to help me. But there was a man there. The man Christ Jesus, God incarnate. And he was there and he reached out his hand and he helped this man in his infirmity. And he said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And the man took up his bed and walk. And, and the Jews who had known him for 38 years to be an invalid man looked at him and thought, what in the world's this guy walking on the Sabbath day carrying his bed for? <laughs> it's hard to understand how hard-hearted yes. We can become at times, and they were a very hard-hearted people. I'll give you the reason for that here in just a moment. It was because of this great sin that they viewed of breaking the Sabbath. They viewed it as a great iniquity that they sought to slay the Lord. They despised Him for it. And so in verse 16 of this chapter, Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus, sought to slay Him because He had done these things on the Sabbath day, Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore, the Bible said, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. This encounter enraged them. We'll read more encounters encounters like this as you go through the Gospel of John, chapter 8 in particular. You'll find this back and forth. And when Jesus looked at them in chapter 8 and closed out His thoughts with before Abraham was, I am, they couldn't take it anymore. They sought to throw Him off of a cliff. But again, let's, let's get to the point here. Keep in mind with whatever we are reading or looking at in the Gospel of John that it is written for a purpose. So as I read John chapter 5, even the harsh words to the religionists of that day, those words are also given that I might believe upon Christ and be saved. This whole narrative is. What is it they are to believe? They are to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
that He came from heaven to pay their sin debt and that He, he was to please the Father and fulfill the law and be saved. They cannot be saved without believing that, nor can you. Right. You must believe on the Savior. In fact, if you read through this carefully, you'll find that belief and unbelief is consistently mentioned in this, well, I, I called it a dialogue, but it's pretty one-sided. Jesus deals over and over again with the faith or lack of faith, rather, of the Pharisees right here. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He that believeth on my word. He goes on in verse number 38 and, and says this, And ye have not His word abiding in you, for whom He has sent Him ye believe not. He is really dealing with the, 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 the point of, con uh, of contention with these individuals. Verse 44 down through verse 47, repeatedly He speaks of trust and faith and belief. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust, or you believe in him, he said. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? And he is dealing with the point of contention with these Pharisees. He is not correcting everything that is wrong about their religion, everything that is wrong about their mindset, everything wrong in their lives. He is not calling out every individual sin that he could call out about these men, but rather he is dealing with the very root. The axe is being laid to the root of these men and telling them your problem is that you do not truly believe upon him whom God sent. Upon me, he said. Right. This further enraged them. But their point of contention was unbelief. And just as a side note, this still is the same stone of stumbling and rock of offense to the Jews to this day. They believe in Abraham. They believe in David. They believe in God working through them in their history. But they fail to believe upon the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom He sent. And it was unto these same Jews that it is written, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But though they rejected Him, and even to this day that blindness that has been given unto them remains and will remain until the time of us Gentiles has fully come in, I rejoice that though they rejected Him, He goes on and said, but, but, but as many as received Him, that is Jesus, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Amen. Even them which believe upon His name. Yes. They are lost. This group of Pharisees that He speaks to right here, they are utterly lost. I do not know that any of them were saved. But I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded fully that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Amen. Let unbelief be the stumbling stone of others, but may it not be your stumbling stone yes. tonight. Believe upon the Lord yes. Jesus and thou shalt be saved. 
This still is a problem for the Jews. And so Jesus deals with their point of contention and He begins to give them witness after witness that should speak to their heart and tell them, you can believe upon Me. You can look to Me. You can trust Me and should trust Me. He mentions five particulars in this chapter that bear witness of Him, that testify of who He is. And uh, really more than five because he says the scriptures testify of me and all throughout the word of God there are scriptures that bear record of the Son of God. But again, I want you to bear in mind these are given that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you might have life through His name. I'm very interested in what he says in verse number 34. And I don't want to get too disjointed with the message here, but notice these words. He is speaking unto them about the witness of John the Baptist. You sent unto John and he bear witness of the truth or unto the truth in verse 33. He said, but I receive not testimony from man. Essentially what he's saying is, is I don't just have the testimony of man. There are other things that bear record of who I am. But notice these words. He said, these things I say that you might be saved. Am I out of line in saying to you that Christ did what He did so that men might receive the forgiveness of sins? He is speaking to a group of rejectors right here. Flat out, they are going to reject everything that He says. And yet as He speaks to them, He is saying, I'm telling you this. I'm speaking unto you. What I'm telling you is is not to further enrage you or to build some vitriol against me, but I'm telling you this, that you might be saved. Brethren, any theology that we have should not detract from the fact that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If His concern was the souls of men, that should also be my concern. These things I'm saying, it seems like there's this repetitive theme. John's saying, you know, I wrote this. Because you need to be saved. Jesus is saying, you know, I'm telling you guys, because you need to be saved. We're having meetings. Because we need help as a church, as a church family, no doubt. But Christ has men to preach because you need to be saved. This is why He persuades them not to make a name for Himself, but because these individuals have needy souls. These things I say unto you that you might be saved. These 18 verses I've read, verse 30 down through 47, they they really, in this one-sided dialogue, the Lord Jesus thoroughly reproves these religious individuals and gives them witnesses that will thoroughly prove to them if they will hear it, who He is and why they should believe upon Him. What is said of them is true of every lost individual in the world today. There are other things that could be said, but just in the passage. 
Number one, we can deduce that if he said, these things I have said that you might be saved, we can figure from that that they are not yet saved. I know that's really deep. They're not saved. If you've not believed upon the Lord Jesus, you're not saved. There is no in-between state. You're not in a half-awakened slumber. And No, you either have believed or you've not. You're either saved or you are lost. You are either in Christ or you are in Adam. And in Adam all die. There is no in-between. What does it mean to be unsaved? What does that mean? I, I was alarmed when I was pastoring in North Carolina. I guess the, it was probably uh, 2016, so it's been a little while. My memory's a little fuzzy sometimes. Uh, but that summer in our Bible school, it's 2015 is when it was. And uh, we had a group of kids, and uh, we did vacation Bible school there. And, and it was really a different vacation Bible school than any I'd ever been in. Instead of uh, teachers being assigned to age groups, we had one teacher and the age groups came and and rotated out. And you can imagine how difficult it is as a teacher to have lessons that need to be on the level of the youngest all the way up to the teenage class. And and uh, well, I was the teacher and it was it had its difficulties, mind you. And and uh, I love young people. And so I would get down on the floor and sit down cross-legged with them. I was more flexible just a few years back. And, and I'd sit down with them, talk with them, get right down there. I love those kids. And, and I remember teaching uh, through one lesson. And right at the end of class, uh, there was a girl, Carly, in the class. And she raised her hand up. We're getting ready to dismiss. And, and I'd been dealing with the thought of salvation. And she said, what does saved mean? What a what an error on my part to assume that everyone I was speaking to about being saved knew what that meant. I wanted an answer to explain what it meant to be saved. Class was over, saved by the bell on that one. And uh, so I went home that evening and I prayed about it and asked the Lord, I, I need a word to give to them. How can I explain what this means to be lost or to be saved? And the Lord took my heart and my thoughts to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. And in that chapter, it describes to us what it means to be lost and what it means to be saved. And it is summed up in these words, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. To be saved means to be given the spiritual life of God where it was not before. He speaks of all of those who were lost and He says about every last one of us, we were dead in our trespasses and in sins. It does not mean we do not have physical life. I think we're all alive tonight. You're breathing. You are a living soul because God has breathed into your nostrils the breath of life, but you do not have a living spirit. It's dead. Dead in trespasses and in sins. Jesus tells them, you are not saved. I'm telling you this because I want you to believe it and I want you to be saved. And He describes them in this way in verse number 40. Ye will not come to Me that you might have life. They were probably like Nicodemus. 
What do you mean that we might have life? We're alive. What do you mean be born again? Nicodemus said, I'm a grown man. Am I supposed to enter again into my mother's womb and come into the world? And Nicodemus didn't understand that real well. And these individuals did not understand real well what it meant to be lost. It means to be dead. Spiritually dead. Unable to turn over enough new leaves to help yourself out and to give you peace at night that when you die and stand before God, it's going to be well with your soul. Dead. What he says of them is true of every sinner in the world today. Not saved. Without life. He said that being without life implies that you are without hearing and that you are without sight. Verse number 37, the Father Himself which has sent me, He hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His shape. You have a perception problem. You're dead in trespasses and in sins. This is one of the consequences of being dead in trespasses and sins. You don't see like you're supposed to. You don't hear like you're supposed to. You don't understand like you're supposed to. He says of the Pharisees who understood so well all of the the Word of God, they had every doctrine and every jot and every tittle. They had it all figured out. And He said about them, you're dead. And in verse 38, He said, you have not His Word abiding in you. The Word of God's not real in your heart. It doesn't shape you. It doesn't change anything about you. It doesn't abide in you. It doesn't live in you. It's just a dead letter to you. Just a formal part of your religion that you have memorized or have down. And and this is true for lost people. They have not the Word of God in them. Or isn't isn't it true for us as God's children that since He has saved us, there's something that He's put in our heart. It's more than just a love for His Word. But it's that He brings it to our remembrance and it helps us in our troubles. And when we have great needs in our life, God will remind us of many of His precious promises and He'll call to our remembrance things that He's taught us sometimes. Scriptures that we didn't even know we remembered and He'll give them to us because His Word is real and it is alive in our heart. But that is not true for lost people. And so He looks at them And he is not questioning their knowledge or their memory or anything else of the Word of God. He is telling them it is not alive in your heart because you're dead. They were without faith in Christ and being without faith in Christ means they had no faith in the Father. So Jesus said it. You have not His Word abiding in you for whom He has sent Him you believe not and if you believe not the One who has sent you don't believe upon the Father. So many people today would claim to believe upon God, a God, a creator, whatever the form. You do not know God apart from His Son, Jesus Christ. Yes. And if you do not believe upon the Son, you don't have the Father either. For no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Here is another indictment that He lays against them. Verse number 40, Yet will not come to Me that you might have life. No, here's the problem for sin. They will not come. They won't. In and of themselves, they cannot find it in their heart to come to Christ. They do not have the concern for their soul that they ought to have. You will not come to me. And so I would say that is the reason tonight that you sit here lost. If you've never been saved, this is the reason you are still in your lost condition. 
Because you won't come to Christ. And why would you not? My friend, how many times does He graciously invite sinners to come unto Him? I love that word. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. We are bid to come to the Savior. But the Pharisees and every sinner today in their lost state will not come to Him that they might have life. If you are unsaved today, that is true of you up to this point. But oh, tonight is a great opportunity. Yes. And he that bids sinners to come to himself may, by the word of God, bid you this evening. And I pray that he does and that you heed his call. That you yield yourself to the word of God. They are without his word. They are without life. Verse 42, Jesus looks at them and said, I know you that you have not the love of God in you. They are without the love of God. They don't understand it. It's never been shed abroad in their heart by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't abide within them. They don't know the love of God. They don't exhibit the love of God. They have not experienced the love of God. They are without the favor and honor of God. Verse 44, how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? They had men's applause, but no favor with God. And sadly, it says of them that they are without an advocate. Here are the keepers of the law. The most religious people that you can imagine keeping it to the letter. They were so zealous of the Sabbath day that they counted their steps. They would not break that law now. And they rejoiced in their righteousness and rejoiced in their keeping of the law And Jesus speaks to them about Moses not being a friend to them. And when He says Moses, He is speaking of the law of God. And He is saying, Moses is not your friend. He is your accuser. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. He is clearly not speaking of the man Moses. He has long since been dead. I don't know where his grave's at, but he's gone. He is speaking of Moses' writings, being an accuser against them. These individuals are without an advocate. And all they have is an accuser. And so it is with sinners today. The Word of God stands against you. It bears witness against you. It will be that which speaks against you in the day of judgment. It is no friend of yours. Turning over a new leaf, becoming religion does not save. Becoming religious does not save a man. This is what he says of them, and what he says of them is true of every lost man. And then it's as though through all of this, as he is giving his indictments against them, all of his words seem to be saying the same thing to them: "You're lost. Believe upon me. You're dead. Believe upon me." You don't have the Word of God. Believe upon me. You don't have the love of Christ, the love of God, the love of the Father within you. Believe upon me. All of these things are written that they might be saved. Believe upon me, he said, me, the Son of God, he which was sent of the Father. 
Now Jesus will say many different things in this passage concerning Himself, concerning the witnesses that there are. But He said this first in verse 31, If I bear witness of Myself, My witness is not true. It does not mean Jesus is saying, if I bear witness, then I'm not telling the truth. But what He's saying is, is, if I alone am telling you to believe upon Me, don't believe Me. Even in the law of God, it is stated two or three witnesses must declare something before it should be received as a true thing in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And what he's saying is, is if I alone am telling you this, don't believe me. If any man alone says he is this or says it, don't believe him. He's saying, but I have a lot more witnesses than just me that should be speaking to your heart right now and causing you to look to me. He said, first, there is another witness that bears, uh, there is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. He said, You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. That is, they went to John the Baptist and wanted a word, they wanted to know something of him. They wanted to know if He was the Messiah that they were looking for. Art thou He? And uh, John said, I am not He. But there cometh one after Me. And I'm not worthy to bow down and even help Him with His shoes. He said, but He that comes after Me, He is one that doesn't just baptize with water, but He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And He is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And as they came to John with questions, John pointed them to Jesus. They knew John. I have often in my reading thought that this case of John the Baptist was just some dude that came out of the wilderness one day that looked funny and all of a sudden started preaching with power. They knew his mother. They knew his father. He was of the lineage of a priest. They knew well who John was. They knew of his miraculous birth. They didn't understand necessarily that he was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, paving the way for him to come on the scene, making those paths straight. But John came and preached the repentance of sin, the remission of sins, and preached that men would be baptized and pointed them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it probably would have been said of John the same as it was said of the Lord Jesus. Man, we have not heard preaching like this. And as he magnified Jesus Christ as God's Son, the Lamb of God, is it any wonder that all of Judea and the regions round about came out to hear Him and be baptized of Him? Men who are in darkness, when they see a great light, they run to it. And John, Jesus said, was a burning and a shining light. He said, you rejoiced in Him for a little while. Rejoice in Him again. Hear His message again and receive it and believe it. It's not just me telling you believe upon me. But you have also John. You have also John. He said, but... In case the testimony and witness of men is not enough for you, I want to remind you that I have a witness, guys. I have a witness of me that is greater than John. I have greater witness than that of John in verse number 36. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So now He is pointing them to things that they have been able to lay their eyes upon. And He is telling them, guys, Take a look around you. 
You know in the law and you know in the prophets, the prophecies concerning one who would come and open the prison doors and open the eyes of the blind and would have uh, the anointing of the Spirit of God upon him to preach glad tidings of the gospel to the poor. Look around you. That is going on today. Jesus could point the very thing that you hate me over right now. Healing a man on the Sabbath day. That is what the Word of God said you should look for in the Messiah that would come. And those works bear witness of me. Every witness, every miracle rather that our Lord Jesus performed was not just Him trying to give someone a better life. That was a result of it. This guy had a much better life who was carrying his bed off from the pool of Bethesda at this moment than he had in just a few moments before, prior. All the miracles, they were done to declare to this world, to you, to me, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we believe upon Him, we will have life through His name. You say, well, do a miracle for us then. I'm not Jesus. And I can't point to any singular miracle as far as anyone being in here whose eyes have been opened that have been blind or who was deaf and they, uh, they now hear. Most of us are going the other way, Brother Steve. We used to hear and then we don't hear so good anymore. And I don't know anyone in here who was dead and now they're alive. There were some of those in Jesus' day. He raised them from the dead. I cannot say of any certainty that any physical miracle has ever happened to me or any one of you in here. Oh, but I look around and I see something far greater than a miracle of someone being physically healed. I see individuals tonight who, by your own words and by the life that you now live, you have received the miracle of life. You've been given a new heart and a new birth and you're not what you used to be. And some of you know that and some of you have had people in your life and you have seen the change that Jesus Christ has made in them. And it's been enough to almost persuade you that this is real. That it's real. And I pray tonight it's more than almost, but that you, like Paul, would be fully persuaded upon the Son of God and believe upon Him. And to consider the reality that if He did it for your fellow man, He can do it for you yes. also. Yes. I assure you tonight that this is a congregation of people gathered together that would never be together under any other right. circumstance. We profess the same Lord. Yes. We profess the same Savior. Yeah. I'm here tonight because 24 years ago, God saved my soul and changed me. You don't need to know everything that I was before He saved me, but I can assure you that I was not what I am now. It is a miracle. And every time God has put a Christian, a true believer of the Lord Jesus in your life, He has given you a witness of the miraculous power of God. Amen. Yes. And He's done it that you might look upon them and say, huh. 
and believe upon the Lord. There's the witness of the Father. I'm getting long as usual. The Father Himself which has sent me hath borne witness of me. Several occasions. He spoke from heaven verbally, audibly, where men could hear it. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He speaks to the hearts of men. I don't have the ability to do that. But while the Word of God is read and while the Word of God is preached, the Father which has sent the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus Christ speaks to men's heart and bears witness. What that preacher is saying is true. What he's telling you of my son is true. You better believe you must be born again. There's the witness of the Father, both outward and inward. There's the witness of the Scriptures. And I do not have time to go through that. But Jesus said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. The pages that we have before us are pages upon which we read the record of the Son of God. We read in time past. Men who declared ahead of time where He would be born, to whom He would be born, how He would be born, how He would suffer, how He would die. And all of those things are records of the Son of God. Five witnesses. John, His works, the Father in heaven, the Scriptures, very similar to the Scriptures as Moses, the law of God, declares unto us that Christ is the Son of God. Everywhere we look, we can see witnesses of Him. Let me bring this to a close tonight. Jesus gives unto them five particulars right here. Verse 46, If you had believed Moses, you would have believed Me, for He wrote of Me. There's Moses. He said, Search the Scriptures in verse 39, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. Five witnesses. But I do not think for a moment that you are the Pharisees tonight. And I don't think for a moment that I'm in the place of the Lord Jesus tonight. And so I'm just going to put this on a, on a very practical, real life, real time thing. How many witnesses has He given you? How many times has He put someone in your path? How many times has He done something in your life? To speak unto your heart of His goodness to you. And to cause His goodness and the seeing of His goodness to lead you to repentance and faith in Him. We all have witnesses of some sort. We all look in the sky and we know that there is a Creator. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. There's no nation, there's no place in this world that their light and their voice does not go out. Men of every language, every tongue, every tribe, they can look up and know that there is a God. We all have that witness. He has given us the witness of conscience. Thank God He has because there's no limit to how far we could go as people. If we did not have a God-given conscience, He's given us that. He's given us His Word, but oh, on a personal level, I want you to think tonight, who has God put in my way to show me that He's real? What individual things has God done in my heart that as we read about the Pharisees right here, what individual witnesses has He shown me that I might be saved? 
Somebody probably invited you here tonight. And if they didn't invite you here tonight, you probably went to church for the first time because somebody invited you. Somebody carried you. Say, I wasn't invited. Somebody told me uh, one time that they grew up and they had a drug problem. Now, they were being sarcastic. They said, we were drug as kids. We had drug problems in our house. <laughs> he said, we were drug. Drug to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. <laughs> that may not have felt much like an invitation to you as a young person, I understand. But listen, invitation or a parent that cared enough about you to bring you to the house of God, to keep you under the sound of the Word of God. A mom or a dad that raised you that you know what they had is real and you'd like to have what they had. Do you know what that is? That's the goodness of God putting witnesses in your life. A pastor of over three decades now preaching the Word of God to you. Brother Fulton here is a church preaching the Word of God to you. Others along the way who have been a help to your soul to point you to Jesus. Friends in your life. What witnesses has He given to you? I want to ask you this as, as we close. Do you think that Jesus, with His declaration of these five witnesses to these Pharisees, is not also in turn going to hold them accountable in the day of judgment for their rejection of those witnesses? My dear friend, you'd be better off to die not having ever heard the Gospel not having ever heard a witness of the name of Jesus Christ, than to die with so many witnesses being given to you. So many that testified of the name of the Savior, and yet you reject Him. I ask you tonight, what has God done for you? He is a good God. Yes. He did not leave you in the dark. Nor did he leave the Pharisees in the dark. I'm not going to argue theology about it. I'm just, this is, he graciously gave them truth, didn't he? They rejected it, but he gave them the truth. Because he's a good Savior. His harsh words to us that hurt our heart a little bit, he says those to us because he's a good Savior. And he's a wonderful Lord. I encourage you today, tonight, just simply. Listen to what God's telling your heart. <laughs> open your eyes. Pray if you don't have open. God, open my eyes and let me see all that you have done for me that I might come to you. He is a wonderful Savior. Yes. I'm just going to say like John did. I've tried to preach this to you tonight that you might believe upon the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through His name. That you might enjoy the same joy and eternal life that I know that I have through my Savior. What witnesses has He given you? Oh, I'd say many. If not many, He gave you a weird-talking southern preacher to bear witness one more time to you. Amen. You must be born again. There is a Savior. The Lord Jesus, God's Son, believe upon Him. I sure you'll never regret that. Amen. That's right. Pastor, if you'll come. Thank you. Everyone stand, please. We'll have our pianist and organist come.
I don't know how to say this and sound reverent in doing so. We'll sing closing hymn in just a few minutes, minute or so, number 312 if you want to turn there. The title of the hymn is Jesus I Come. I say this as reverently as I can. Jesus said to those people, and ye will not come. You want to tell the Lord he made a mistake. Won't you tell him, here I come, Lord. Here I come. He's put it in your heart, hasn't he? Here I come. Notice these words. Come to the Lord. Now I'm not saying you have to come up here. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. It's to Him we need to go. Come to Him. Yes. You could do that right where you stand yes. right now. some rules. You must come to him in humility and faith. If you will not admit that you are a wretched sinner and you need a savior, then there's no point. You don't need that kind of earthly Jesus. You need a redeemer. Verse number two. Out of my shameful faith give you rest. We'll sing one more verse. Just for you. Verse 3. Out of unrest and arrogant pride Jesus I come Jesus I come into thy blessed will to abide Jesus I come 
We will meet here again tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Everyone is welcome. Pray for the service. Pray for yourselves and those that are around you. Amen. Amen. Brother Kilgard, would you dismiss us in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we ask that your spirit, uh, your word, might uh, convict, touch, mm. give a reality to the chasm that the lost face for eternity. Mm. 